0: Hello, and welcome to Small Black Birds. I'm AJ, and in this episode, you will hear stories about three women who went to a protest and were partially blinded after being hit with rubber bullets or other projectiles fired by police. In their own words, they explain what happened to them and why they continue to speak out against police violence. Since the nationwide protests over George Floyd's death began, over 20 people have suffered traumatic eye injuries after being hit by rubber bullets or other projectiles fired by police, including Balin Brake, a 21-year-old student journalist in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Soren Stevenson, a University of Minnesota student who bravely stood on the front line at a Black Lives Matter protest. Prompted by these attacks, the American Academy of Ophthalmology has called for banning these weapons, saying, Americans have the right to speak and congregate publicly and should be able to exercise that right without the fear of blindness. You shouldn't have to choose between your vision and your voice. Okay, let's start with Linda's story. Linda Torado had been on the streets of Minneapolis the night before, taking photos and talking to people. But Friday night was the first with curfew, and even though it was still early, she could hear protesters yelling police were using tear gas. Torado had driven from Nashville to photograph the protests following the killing of George Floyd by four Minneapolis police officers. An author and professional photographer, she had covered protests involving law enforcement before and had come prepared with a press pass, respirator, and goggles. Standing near the 3rd precinct, she raised her camera to photograph the scene.
1: The police were in front of me, protesters were kind of scattered, it was a bit chaotic. I was lining up a photo, and then my world kind of exploded. I immediately realized that I'd been hit in the face with something, and my face started to swell, and I, there was too much blood I couldn't see, so I just closed my eyes and started yelling, I'm pressed, I'm pressed.
0: Protesters and journalists in Minneapolis, and at protests against police brutality that erupted in all 50 states, were met by militarized police using excessive force, beating unarmed protesters with batons, and firing less lethal projectiles, such as rubber and foam bullets. Witnesses and videos documented law enforcement targeting journalists, shooting into crowds of unarmed people, aiming at faces, and firing at close range, all of which violate codes of conduct and other police department policies. In her lawsuit against the city, Toronto says she was hit in the face by foam bullets, but that term is misleading. The rubber or foam itself is hard and can break bones and cause head injuries. There is no national data to show how often they're used or what harm they inflict, because police departments are not required to document their use. A recent study found that 3% of people hit by rubber bullets died and about 15% are permanently injured. Journalists at protests have become conspicuous targets for arrest, intimidation, and assault by police officers even though, or perhaps because, they clearly mark themselves as press. Since protests began in late May, nearly 500 incidents have been documented, including over 80 instances of reporters or photographers being struck by rubber bullets or other projectiles fired by police.
1: It is, unfortunately, a reality of American journalism that more and more often those of us that cover civil unrest are facing the same risks as you would see conflict journalists that cover war zones, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not the only journalist that's been injured or arrested or gassed or you know hit by the police.
0: Michael Adams, a reporter with Vice News, was following a police order to lay down on the street holding his press pass above his head when another officer pepper sprayed him in the face. Caitlin Rust was live on the air covering the protests in Louisville, Kentucky, when police fired multiple rounds of rubber bullets at her and her crew. These incidents are not just a threat to a free press, which is becoming less centralized and more accessible, as more citizen journalists take to the streets to tell their stories, but also reflects the reality in many American cities that police trained and equipped for the battlefield view the people they are supposed to protect and serve as the enemy.
1: gas is banned for use in international war, but we're happy to use it on our civilian populace. And things like targeting journalists are considered to be war crimes. But when it's not a technical war, those rules and those norms go out the window. So it is really upsetting to see something that you would be outraged by if it were committed during a war, just kind of considered to be completely normal.
0: Toronto has since shared updates on Twitter, where she talked about her injury and continues to cover the protests and Black Lives Matter movement. Two days after being shot, she gave an interview to CBC, where she talked about her hopes for this moment.
1: Power structures that keep allowing police to kill Black and brown people in this country with impunity, I would like that to change. You know, I, I, I want things to change, but it has to be systemic. It doesn't change anything, it doesn't bring anybody any justice, it doesn't you know, change the norms around here if the one cop that pulled the trigger on me winds up getting a ding on his service record and the city has to pay me my medical bill. like That doesn't change anything. So, I mean, yes, I, I would like to seek accountability, but I would like to see systemic, broad accountability for all of the people who are being injured by an increasingly militarized police force. The fact that there's MRAPs and Bearcat and sniper rifles when you're dealing with a civilian population to me is just mind blowing. And that's the thing I'd like to see changed.
0: Linda is an outspoken and compassionate advocate for working-class Americans who attended the protests in Minneapolis in a professional capacity. But the woman in the next story, Nia Love, says she went to a local Black Lives Matter protest like countless other Americans to demand not only justice for George Floyd, but to upend the criminal justice system. Nia Love was among a group of people protesting the killing of George Floyd on a freeway overpass in Sacramento, California. It was nearly midnight, and the crowd of people had been facing off with police for over an hour. Love says she and others were holding their hands in the air when police began firing rubber bullets and flash grenades.
2: Something happened that agitated the crowd, and they started saying, hands up, don't shoot. I was actually walking away to walk towards the sidewalk, and I turned around for a couple seconds, and it just, it hit me. And then I just, the rubber bullet hit me, and I fell to the ground.
0: Love says she did not hear police orders to disperse, but remembers how she felt after being hit by a rubber bullet.
2: Pain is, it's its so bad that the words, it's, it's hard to describe. I just, I keep using the, the term that it felt like I was shot with a cannon. Like it, it was really bad. It's excruciating pain.
0: This was the first protest the 29-year-old medical assistant and mother of two had attended. A few days after the attack, She told a British news show why she joined with her neighbors in protesting police violence in her hometown.
2: I think it just came to a point to where I'm exhausted and I'm tired of seeing the same thing happening and the same outcome. The same videos keep getting put out, we keep seeing these Black men being killed by these officers and little to no punishment is happening. I'm just at the point where it's like something has to change. So that kind of is what made me go out there at night and
0: protest. Sacramento's history is rich with stories of black and working class people pursuing economic and social change, and it is also one of police violence. In 2018, two Sacramento police officers shot and killed Stefan Clark, an unarmed father of two, while he was in his grandmother's backyard. After a year of investigations by the city and state, and pleas from a grieving family and community leaders for accountability, the Sacramento County District Attorney determined the officers who killed Clark had not committed a crime. The decision to not prosecute the officers happened while the city was still navigating the fallout from the police killing of two homeless men and the subsequent cover-up by the department. Other recent targets of police violence include 29-year-old Ryan Ellis, who died of head wounds sustained while handcuffed and in police custody, Nandi Kane Jr., who was viciously beaten by a Sacramento officer for allegedly jaywalking, and Mikkel McIntyre, a 32-year-old experiencing a mental health crisis who was shot seven times while fleeing from police. The city has paid out millions to victims' families in wrongful death and other lawsuits. After Clark's death, large protests stirred then as they do now in Sacramento, giving voice to the anger over discriminatory policing and city and state leaders for failing to sanction officers for using excessive force. California is one of several states that doesn't revoke badges or notify potential new employers that officers have been fired for serious offenses. And in Sacramento, as in many departments, police investigate its own misconduct complaints, including when an officer shoots someone or a person dies while in custody. The protests following Clark's death renewed efforts to change the state's deadly force law, which was amended in 2019. But as with Love, the injuries and harm caused by less lethal rounds cannot be overlooked. During the first two weeks of protests over the killing of George Floyd, Sacramento police shot two teenagers with rubber bullets, leaving both with broken facial bones, and a legal observer was shot in the eye with a pepper ball.
2: I think it is extremely ironic that at a protest for police brutality, I am now a victim of that. I'm ex- I'm, I'm devastated. You know, it's life altering. I have to change my whole life around now because of this injury.
0: Love is now suing the Sacramento Police Department and continues to speak out at Black Lives Matter protests. When asked if she regrets attending the protest, she responded.
2: It's bigger than me and what I've lost. I don't
0: regret it at all. Attacks on journalists and protesters are not new. For years, security forces have targeted the faces of activists in places like Chile, Palestine, and Syria, leaving hundreds of people blinded in one or both eyes. And it happened to Vanessa Dundon at Standing Rock. Vanessa Dundon had grown up in Arizona, but after seeing video of security forces using dogs to attack protesters at Standing Rock in 2016, the 31-year-old Navajo and mother of four made her way to North Dakota to join the effort against the Dakota Access Pipeline. In her role as a water protector, Dunnan often found herself supporting others near the front line where protesters and police sometimes clashed. A few nights before Thanksgiving, Dunnan says she was approaching the backwater bridge at the edge of the Standing Rock Sioux territory. I was out at the
3: line at the north bridge, backwater bridge. I'm uh, Kichita, I am security. I am the dispatcher. I'm information. I was out on the bridge and just doing what I normally do. They called the makyo Kichita, you know, help us. I normally stand behind the guys, you know, and uh, relay information at these frontline incidents.
0: As she approached the bridge, police officers perched behind barbed wire, began firing tear gas canisters and rubber bullets.
3: I slipped up for a few seconds to, to help a woman that yelled for help. And within those few seconds, as I go to help this woman, I hear the cannons go off the tear gas canisters. So I look up, thinking, you know, they're going to go over my head 50, 100 feet. But no, it was aimed directly at my face, There so it was about five, six rounds shot at me, within 15 maybe feet in front of me. The tear gas canister, it hit my eye, one of them. The rest flew around my head. As I uh, go to grab my eye, I turn around. I start to try to run, and I get shot in the back of my leg with a
0: rubber bullet on top of that. Following the attack, Dundon rushed to a clinic about an hour away to see if her eye and vision could be saved. As she waited for assistance, Dundon overheard clinic staff talking about a native man who had also been injured near the bridge. That's what he gets, she heard one of them say. Dunden received medical care, but was told she would need to see a retina specialist, and the nearest one was in Fargo about 200 miles away. The next day, she went to another local clinic, but was denied care because it did not accept her Indian Health Service insurance card from Arizona. Five days after being shot in the eye, she finally had an appointment with a specialist in Minneapolis, a three and a half hour drive from where she lived. I had 72
3: hours. Of- just fell through the cracks, shoved out of different hospitals, my cousin having to come down and uh, take me to another uh, area, of Fargo, which sent me to a couple more doctors, which sent me to Minneapolis, for finally to see the retina specialist I needed to see, as it took me over a week. After going from hospital to hospital, doctor to doctor, and then finally getting to the doctor, I needed to see it. because the swelling was so bad. Um, he really couldn't even do too much himself to try to save my eye.
0: The harm of police violence doesn't happen in a vacuum. The cycle of trauma and abuse is compounded by everyday inequality and injustices, especially for individuals and communities that have a history of being brutalized by police. Dundon's activism has not stopped. She is founder of Missing Flowers, a group working to address the persistent and deliberate violence aimed at Native peoples and continues to advocate on behalf of victims and their families. Thank you for listening to Small Black Birds. Want to protect your First Amendment rights? Take action today by visiting www.rightsanddissent.org And keep this conversation going by contacting me at smallblackbirdspodcast at gmail.com or at smallblackbirds on Twitter. Stay safe and talk with you soon.
3: Comes a time When the blind Takes your Still be